If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode 102. And in this episode, we will discuss the concept of dividend reinvestment plans, or DRPs, and also the concept of fractional shares. Thanks to Alan, who asked me about this question via Facebook, and he suggested that I make a podcast episode on these topics. If you have any questions or topics you want me to discuss, don't hesitate to contact me via Facebook or Twitter, and I'll do what I can. Now, if you're new to this financial um, channel, uh, the aim here is to educate, be empowered, and be entertained. Finances need not be complicated. So the main aim of this is to try and take financial principles and concepts and break them down to as simplest basic format as possible so that it gives you an opportunity to learn about finances in hopefully a fun and enjoyable way. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to your appropriate advisors um, before actually doing them. In other words, don't listen to some random guy ranting on the internet. But if you're stuck on what to do in terms of broad principles, um, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside, never to be touched again. Step two is invest that money, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand index funds, so I just buy index funds. Step three is reinvest dividends. The power of compounding by reinvesting dividends over the long term is phenomenal. Step four is do it for the long term, not just five, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking minimum 20, 30 or 40 plus years. The longer you do it, the better it is for you. And step five, my favorite, is to try and automate any of these steps as much as you possibly can. Now, if you did these five simple steps over the long term, you're likely to end up with more money than you'll ever need. Remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring you happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you a lot better. Now to the main topic, what is a dividend reinvestment plan? Now, I bang on about reinvesting dividends all the time, and that is step three out of my five-step process from a broad principles perspective about personal finance and investing. But what I talk about is not exactly a dividend reinvestment plan. We need to know what are dividends first before we understand what are dividend reinvestment plans. Now, dividends are sums of money 
which companies pay their shareholders. Think about it as a kind of reward for believing in the company. When the company makes a profit, they share that profit with its shareholders in the form of dividends. I've discussed dividends extensively in episodes 20, 31, 65 and episode 76. I think it's worthwhile to go back and listen to those episodes and then come back to this one. This episode builds on those concepts. So a dividend reinvestment plan is when the company offers a program to their shareholders whereby any cash dividends are automatically used to purchase more shares in the underlying company. Now, sometimes the shares are whole or sometimes the shares are fractional. Fractional shares just means if you don't have enough dividends to buy a whole number of shares, they will still allocate a portion of one share with whatever remaining cash dividends you have. So let's use an example to discuss these concepts. Amy is a shareholder in company X. Suppose her dividends add up to $4,000 per year. This means each quarter, the dividends work out to be about $1,000. Company X stock is worth about $85 per share. Amy is enrolled into the company's DRP, Dividend Reinvestment Plan, which means when the $1,000 arrives each quarter, it gets automatically invested back into the company's stock. She'll get 11 shares and a fractional share as well because you can't evenly split the $1,000 into whole numbers of shares. The thing is, if Amy wanted to, she could have received that cash dividend into her account and used that money to manually buy shares in the open market. But as far as I know, you can't buy fractional shares in the open market or it's very difficult to do that. And Amy could have got the cash dividends and invested the cash dividends into another company stock. Whereas if she chose to reinvest the dividends as part of the DRP, she would need to commit that those money goes back into the company that actually produces those dividends. Because Amy's dividends are auto-reinvested, it also means she doesn't pay any brokerage. Now, more about this advantage in a bit later in this episode. So when I say reinvest dividends as part of step three, I don't entirely mean DIP, although DRP is a form of reinvesting the dividends. What I mean is whatever income you get for any investments you make, make sure you don't cash out the dividends, make sure you don't spend it. Make sure you buy more investments using the income generated by the investment. But the investment you buy need not be the exact same investment that generated that income. That's all I'm saying. Now, in my case, when I invest in Vanguard ASX 300, the dividends that are produced by the index fund just gets reinvested back into the index fund because it's the simplest way to do it. But I don't really mind if you get the money deposited into your account and then use that money to buy a different investment. I think that's okay, but the easiest way is to click that button upon signing up on an index investment or ETF or any stock profile to just reinvest those dividends into the same investments that you've already been investing for the long term. So I'm really splitting hairs here, but I think it's important to understand reinvesting dividends is not entirely the same as reinvesting dividends into the same stock, which is the DRP. Now, in terms of dividend reinvestment 
um, strategies, I've talked about it in episode 31. So I think it's worthwhile going back and listening to that episode if you're interested. So do all companies offer a DRP? No, they don't. You need to check the company's prospectus and information to ensure they offer such a program. Other ways of checking is checking the company's website, check with your broker, or check with your specialist financial publications or even your financial advisor. Do you have to have an all or none response? That is, does all of the dividends have to be reinvested as part of the DRP? And the answer is no, you don't. They're mostly flexible. You can choose to nominate a set percentage of your dividend to be reinvested as part of the DRP and the rest of it to be deposited into your account as cash dividends. Now, do companies have to have special ways to administer the DRP? Yes. It's important to recognise that if you have reinvesting through their DRP program, you're not buying it through the open market. And this means you can't redeem or sell the shares via the open market. Now, this point is really important and critical to understand. Effectively, suppose you've bought the company's shares through the open market and then enter into their DRP. The parcel of shares bought through the open market is kind of separate compared to the parcel of shares bought through their DRP program. So when it comes to redemption, it can get very tricky and complicated and you need ways to track them. So how do you participate in DRP programs? When you buy shares from a company, they will send you some information about the company and they'll send you some forms from that company share registry. A share registry is another organisation which the company has chosen in order to manage and keep records about who owns those shares. So when change of ownership happens, the share registry is updated. They also manage the dividend payments. That is, the share registry manages the dividend payments. Now, the information pack will have forms where you fill out your details, including your tax file number. Now, for overseas listeners in Australia, a tax file number is your personal reference number in the Australian taxation system and the superannuation system, which is our you know, retirement programs. So if you earn an income, you need to have a TFN or tax file number in Australia. They also ask you on how you want to receive information about the company, whether it's by mail or email or online, etc. And companies that participate in DRPs have a tick box in that form. This is part of how you want your dividends dispersed to you. You can fill out the banking details section or by simply ticking the dividend reinvestment plan, you can just reinvest those dividends long term. Then you can allocate what percentage of the dividends you want reinvested versus what percentage you want deposited straight into your bank account. Now, again, I don't cash any of my dividends. All of my dividends just get reinvested back into the index fund. It's simple, it's effective, and it's easy. And it's automatic. So is a DRP a compulsory program? No, it's a voluntary program. It's an opt-in and opt-out program. You can opt in and opt out at any time, and this makes it flexible based on your own personal situation. So if you feel you need the money, for example, during your retirement, you can opt out. Can companies shut down their DRP? So once you have a DRP program happening, 
does that mean the company will honour that for the rest of the, you know, rest of the time that you keep investing? And the answer is no, they can shut it down. In fact, this did happen in 2008 during the GFC when Telstra shut down their DRP program. And in fact, they shut it down for a number of years and then brought it back in 2015. Having said this, whatever dividends which have been invested are not affected. So they're not going to ask you to, you know, pay back those dividends. Now, if a company offers a DRP, the power of compounding is amazing. It's a great way to automate your reinvestment. You don't have to think about it. It gives you peace of mind, knowing whatever happens, the dividends keep rolling in and get reinvested forever. But you need to make sure you tick that box. I need you to look for that box. So let's use an example. Amy owns a company called Company X, and its stock is worth about $100,000, with each share worth about $100. So she owns about 1,000 shares in the company. The dividend yield is 4%. And in the first year, she gets $4,000 in dividends, which gets reinvested. Let's assume the stock price doesn't improve to make things a little bit simple. At the end of year one, she now owns $104,000 of stock because she's received $4,000 in dividends, which has automatically been reinvested into her stock portfolio. At the end of the second year, she now gets another 4% dividends, which works out to be $4,160, which then gets auto-reinvested. This grows over time. The dividends buy more stock, which then produce more dividends, which then buys more stock. If you can understand this concept in your teens or 20s, this alone can potentially make you a millionaire, if not a multimillionaire. The maths is shockingly simple, but it's so profound. Now, the other amazing thing about DRPs is that essentially you're buying stock at various points in the life cycle of the company. Some years it does well, other years it does poorly. That's just market cycles. And I've talked about market cycles in episode 101. If you're interested, go back and listen to that. Now, with market cycles, it means the company's stock prices fluctuate, which means you're essentially buying at highs and lows and averaging out your cost basis for the stock. And this is what dollar-costing averaging means. And I'll talk about dollar-cost average in episode 16. So if you're interested, go back and listen to that. Now, do you pay brokerage when dividends get reinvested? Absolutely not. Yet another benefit of DRPs. You only pay brokerage fees when you try and buy the company in the open market. Because the company is offering this plan to you directly, you're bypassing the broker. This means no brokerage fees. Now, why is this even more important is that when you buy via a broker, my general principle is to keep fees or brokerage costs as low as possible. And I have the 1% rule. So if you're putting in, you know, $1,000, you don't want your brokerage costs to be more than a percent of that parcel of money. So if your brokerage cost is $10, that is 1% of your $1,000 parcel of money. So you don't want to be investing $100 and spending 10 bucks in brokerage fees because only $90 really goes towards your investment. But with DRP, you can reinvest a small dividend into the shares and pay no brokerage. So 
it makes it ideal for buying smaller parcels of shares to be bought. Whereas if you're buying shares in the open market, you need to think about the brokerage costs. Now, the other thing is you need to find out whether you pay the same cost for the shares compared to the open market. And usually you don't. Usually DRPs offer up to 10% discount on the company's share price. That's right. The company gives you more shares at a discount. It's literally like a secret club, except it's not secret. So if you wanted to cash the dividend and buy the same company in the open market, you may have to pay a market price for it. Why would you do that? Not to mention you've got to pay the brokerage fees. So again, another advantage of having DRP. Let's use an example to highlight this point. Suppose Amy owns company stock X, worth about $100,000, each share being 100 bucks, so she owns about 1,000 shares. She gets 4% dividend yield, which works out to be $4,000 per year. She's enrolled into the DRP and the company offers a 10% discount to participate in this program. This means when the $4,000 dividend comes in, it gets reinvested into the company's stock, which is now only $90 for her to buy that. In the open market, remember, the company's stock was 100 bucks. This means she'll get to buy 44 shares instead of just 40 shares, which is what the open market retail investor will be able to buy with the same amount of money, less brokerage. The benefit also is that Amy doesn't pay any brokerage fees on top of this. So again, DRPs make sense. Now, having a DRP means it's a set and forget strategy. And this appeals to many investors like me. I don't want to hunt for new companies or spend any time researching about companies. My time is also valuable. Now, if you can reinvest dividends when it comes to index funds, you can also reinvest dividends when it comes to ETFs. It's a very similar process, except today we're specifically talking about investors who buy individual company stocks that offer such individual DRP programs. Now, it seems the benefits are really skewed towards investors. So what's really in it for the companies? The companies that have such programs, first of all, entices investors to reinvest their dividends back into the company. This means the company is getting its own money back in return for releasing more equity for the investor. This benefits the company because it's a source of income for them. They don't need to capital raise again from new investors. They don't need to spend extra money to do this. They can use this steady stream of dividend income to invest into their business and hopefully grow it and make more profit and generate more dividends for its shareholders. And that in itself is an attraction for investors. This is why DRP is a form of good capital management tool for companies. Now, there has to be some bad aspects for DRP. It all sounds too good to be true. And unfortunately, that's correct. There are some bad aspects to DRP. So let's go into that. The first one is you can't control the time or purchase price of the shares. When dividends come, they get reinvested automatically. You can potentially opt out of the program and opt in, but this requires chopping and changing, a bit of paperwork here and there, which can be quite frustrating. This is a problem for advanced investors. And personally, I'm not an advanced investor, so it wouldn't really bother me that I'm able to just keep reinvesting those dividends. 
The second bad thing about it is that you can get what's called unbalanced portfolio asset allocation. And what that means is over time, what can potentially happen is your dividends from one company is significantly more than other companies which you own. This means over time, you end up having a huge percentage of your portfolio in that one company, potentially. And this exposes you to more company risk. And as a general rule, if you're into individual stocks, you should not own more than 5% of your stock portfolio in any one company. This means as a minimum, you need to own 20 different stocks across different sectors in order to achieve bare minimum diversification. Now, I own index funds, which have hundreds of companies within them. In terms of sector diversification, I generally recommend never owning more than 20% of your stock portfolio in any one sector. For example, the airline travel tourism sector is proof that you should never put all eggs in one basket. Look what happened in 2020. The third bad thing is reduced diversification, which is similar to unbalanced portfolio. Because the shares are reinvested into the same company, you kind of don't have any choice, it leads to lack of portfolio diversification. You can defeat this by owning more than 20 stocks, as I mentioned before. The fourth bad thing is it's not really suitable for short-term investors or day traders. Now, I'm a long-term investor, so I don't really care about this downside of it, but I understand some people are in it for the quick buck. If the dividends are quarterly or biannually, it doesn't make sense for short-term investors to stick around. But sometimes dividends as part of DRPs are monthly, but this is very few and far in between. So it just makes sense for short-term investors to take the cash dividend and invest it outside of the company into any other form of investment that they choose to do. Now, the fifth bad thing is, and this is kind of obvious, if you're part of a DRP, you don't get an income because the dividends are getting reinvested back into the company. If you're in retirement, this is a bummer, but you can just opt out. So it's really not a huge disadvantage in my opinion. And the sixth disadvantage is the paperwork and the record keeping. It can be a real pain in the bum. Every time a dividend is paid and shares purchased, records need to be maintained. Now, there are companies like ShareSite, for example, that make this easy for you to do. You need to subscribe to their service. It's not a free service. Uh, I think you can have up to 10 holdings for free, but after that, you need to subscribe. And tracking dividend reinvestments are a pain. So some people choose to do it themselves via Excel spreadsheets. Uh, I can't think of anything worse to do, to be honest. Um, but some people like it. So, But tracking the DRPs can be quite difficult. So how is the taxation treated for DRPs? For the purpose of taxation, any dividend which is reinvested as part of the DRP is still counted towards your assessable income, even though you didn't get the money in your bank account. So let's use an example. Amy owns 1,000 shares in company X. The company declares a dividend of a dollar per share. Each share is worth about $10 each. Amy owns 1,000 shares in company X, and the company... Uh, well, Amy has two options now, right? Option one is she can take $1,000 as a cash dividend or she can reinvest that $1,000 back into company X to buy more shares of company X. Amy chooses option B and she gets 100 shares and receives the shares on the 1st of January 2020. 
This means in a 2020 tax return, she needs to declare the dividend she received as assessable income, which equates to $1,000 even though that money never entered her bank account. When she sells the shares as per the ATO, the cost basis was $1,000 for 100 shares on the 1st of Jan 2020. This is for capital gains tax purposes. And these are sort of the records that you need to keep if you're really into this sort of stuff. So that's about it for DRPs. It's a great system. It's a simple system. It has pros and cons. And it really depends on the type of investing that you want to do. Now, before I finish up, I want to discuss the concept of fractional shares, which I kind of brushed off earlier in the episode. So what are fractional shares? Sometimes you can buy a portion of a share, and this is especially true of the share price, is quite high for the company. That's called fractional shares. This usually happens as a result of stock splits, DRPs, mergers, acquisitions, or corporate actions. Now, I've discussed corporate actions specifically in episode 76 and the various forms. If you're interested, go back and listen to that. Let's use an example of how fractional shares can come about. Suppose company X offers a stock split, such as three for two. So if an investor owns two shares, this creates three shares for them. They get one additional share. But if an investor owns three shares, this means you would get one extra share for every two shares that they own, but also get a half an extra share for the remaining two shares. Now, this means they'll now own 4.5 shares. If they owned five shares initially, then this would end up being 7.5 shares, so on and so forth. And sometimes large brokerage firms will split shares on purpose, otherwise average investors cannot afford to buy them. And large companies do this. I think Tesla did this quite recently with stock splits. Generally speaking, you can't buy fractional shares in the open market, but it is possible with some brokerage firms and some companies. So if you buy those shares, can you actually sell fractional shares? Theoretically, yes, but it becomes harder. To use an analogy, it's very hard to sell just one bedroom in your room, in your home. In fact, it's nearly impossible. We don't buy homes by bedrooms or kitchens. We just buy the entire home. And likewise, people generally want to hold entire shares of stocks. But there are fractional share markets, particularly in the US markets, where company values are so high and share prices are so high that individuals can't afford to buy whole shares, which means there is a niche market for fractional shares. That's about it for fractional shares. Likewise, sometimes in index funds, you can get fractional units. You can research about it. It works very, very similarly. That's about it for this episode about DRPs and fractional shares. Thank you very much to Alan for an interesting topic suggestion, and I hope this episode provides some insight into dividend reinvestment plans and fractional shares. Please make sure you give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any podcasting app you're using. It really helps promote the podcast so more people can download and listen to it. It is a free podcast. You don't have to pay for it. It really does help the podcasting algorithm so others can find me. And it has an effect on Google too. So if you Google DevRago Personal Finance, I think this podcast comes up first. And if you really want, leave a review too. Reviews will be read in an episode. And in that theme and on that note, um, I was contacted by a registered nurse recently who's now four years into their nursing career. 
And this is what they told me. Hi, Dev. I'm four years into my nursing career and have a high savings rate during that time. Then I found your podcast and noticed some of the things you talk about are things I already do. I did not know what I was doing was actually anything formal. I just did it randomly based on my own basic knowledge of personal finance. After four years of nursing, I've saved up $30,000 in emergency funds. I have no debts and have $120,000 saved up for a home deposit. I'm on the hunt for my first property. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and we'll be getting my nursing colleagues onto your podcast. Now, NurseX, that's an amazing savings rate. Congratulations and well done. Actually, to tell you the truth, before I learned most of this stuff myself, I kind of did exactly the same. Then found out what I was doing was based on financial principles, which have existed for many, many years. Now, you've saved up $150,000 in total in about four years. And that's an impressive amount of money to save up. I assume you've done a bit of locuming as a nurse, you've done extra shifts, done overtime penalties, etc. But still, that is an impressive savings rate for someone who is four years out of nursing school. What I have found about nursing staff is that nurses are very unique because they finish their degrees fairly quickly. Most nursing degrees are three to four years. You can do undergraduate nursing, which is great, so you don't need to do an undergraduate degree and then do postgraduate nursing. And you have a huge opportunity to maximise your income and start investing and saving very early in your life. So early 20s, really. This is something I find doctors do not have that option, given the undergraduate, postgraduate training requirements. I mean, it takes you about sort of 11 to 15 years to become a fellow. And the income that you earn as a training doctor is not really that great. In fact, nurses in the US can often make in excess of $200,000 per year. And if you're a nurse practitioner, it's even higher. And that's an amazing story for NurseX. So well done again and keep inspiring your colleagues to do the same. Remember to like Devraga Facebook page, shout out to questions and comments and topic suggestions, share this channel with family and friends and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcast, Anchor, CastBox, Google and other major podcasting apps. And remember... Always pay yourself first. Take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. That is your money, never to be touched. And learn about DRPs. Learn about fractional shares. Knowledge is important. Being educated is important. You don't need to participate in DRP or buy fractional shares, but knowing about them is useful. This is Devraka Personal Finance, episode 102. And as always, make sure you stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 